Is it at all possible that when it comes to sports, we're pushing our kids to the brink of exhaustion and burnout? And does our cultural emphasis on sports result in misplaced priorities and even idolatry? These are important questions we must ask ourselves if we desire to bring glory to God in every nook and cranny of life. We'll be talking with former Major League pitcher Jeremy Affelt about his story, sports, family, and managing our priorities on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Another week, another podcast. It's Walt Mueller here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. And as always, I'm with the healer. That's right. That's you, what my name means. I wondered if you knew that, Jason. I looked yeah. up what your name means. It's the healer. That's right. That is, That's right. Yeah. How did you know that? Isn't you that just, amazing? Yeah. Oh, because I think names are really important. And so I, uh, I, I obviously, if I know what my son's names are, yeah, and what they mean, I, I should know what mine does. Yeah, Jason, uh, means. but I've known that for a long period of time. I, 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 I um, yeah. You know what my I, name I, means? Uh, Walter. Uh, let me think. Uh, it means I've I've done. You're this making before. something up, aren't you? No, no, no. You're I'm not. I really am not. I'm trying to remember. Too. No, what does your your name mean? Ruler of the army. That's pr- that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, that is. That, that is. is a scary thought. You know, thought. And, and I looked up your names, too, Chris and Kenton. Do you know what your name means, Chris? Christopher, Fo- right? Follower of Christ. Follower right. of Christ. Christ bearer. Christ bearer. Kenton, do you know what your name means? Yeah. Quit looking it up. Don't Google it. Do you know what it means? Uh, It means royal chieftain. He looked it up. No, you, I don't know what site you're at, but if you translate your name, it means <laughs> king's farm. I'll what? take it. Yeah, <laughs> which and and what happens at a farm? Things grow on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll just let's just think about that a little bit. I, I well, I will say this. I mean, the way King's that we farm. we named our our kids was just what we really feel uh, the Lord was laying on our heart with regard. And a lot of times it was characteristics. And uh, but when we were going through names for our firstborn, uh, I won't say the name because I don't want to embarrass any of our listeners. But it meant cabbage farmer. And I thought, well, I don't think that's that's what the Lord's laying on my heart is yeah. for us to have a cabbage yeah, farmer. Yeah, cabbage farmer. Hmm. Well, I well I have to think about that. Yeah, look up everybody. Look up what your name. This would be a fun thing to do with a with a youth group. You know, see what everybody's name means. And you've got to find a reliable source though on that. Yeah. So. Yeah, you do. It's really powerful. I've done I've done uh, talks at youth groups around yeah. the, the aspect of names. It's really powerful. <laughs> Good. Well, speaking yeah, of names, speaking of names, we have yeah. a familiar name coming on the podcast today. Jason, one of your buddies, uh, Jeremy Affelt, yeah. who actually has four World Series rings. And he has three. He's been to the World Series four times. Well, wait a minute. Didn't he say he won one with the – oh, okay, all right. He, so won, he won three won. with the Giants, and they lost – the. they got swept by the – he was with the uh, Rockies, and they got swept by the Red Sox. Okay, so he has three. 
I'm not impressed now. But he went to the World Series four I times. I thought four was impressive. Three's nothing. I mean, anybody can get three World Series Except rings, right? Except for the Cubs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, we're not going to talk about it, wow, but but we, we're going to have Jeremy Affeld on. Jeremy uh, is going to talk a little bit with us about baseball. He's going to talk about parents. He's going to talk about sportsmanship. And then he's going to talk about what really is his passion, and that is uh, working with the needy and talk yes. about some of the work that he's done. That, that uh, and, and tell we're going to ask him to tell us the story of how this all began. But it's great yeah, to hear his powerful. passion, so it's going to be fun to share that with folks later. But before we... Uh, get to talking to Jeremy and we talk about some of the things happening in youth culture. We'll go over to the other guys. And as always, what do you got? Question? Kenton's right, grabbing the a, mic. We got a question. Um, and this is, so whenever you meet somebody, whether it's the first time or for the hundredth time, handshake, hug, or high five? They're all H's. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Wait, wait. So... For the first time, how do we greet people? Time, That's the question. How do we greet people? Or a well-known person. If you go back and visit a college buddy that you knew really well, how do you greet him? Versus how do you greet somebody else? Okay. Oh. Okay. Do you like this question, uh, Jason? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it do is I like interesting. It? Sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I. Well, My opinion uh, meter is moving so, a little bit to the left on this, and I'm not sure I like the question. <laughs> I should pull a Byron Borger. I reject the question. Remember when you Byron really? on an earlier I actually, podcast? No, this is actually a, a good one because I want to find this out. Because um, what do you do, Walt? Because I, I have an idea of uh, 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 about this. Handshake, hug, or high really five? Curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's someone for the first time, it's a handshake. And I was taught by my dad to shake hands and to shake hands firmly. He would grab yeah. our hands when we were young, and if we didn't get a good handshake, he would say, don't shake hands like a dead fish. And we've all had those handshakes with people where you grab their hand and you're going, oh, man, <coughs> your dad should have been my dad and taught you how to shake a hand. But I also <laughs> yes. know that if I if I don't get, if in a handshake, I don't get my hand in there far enough in the other person's hand and get a good grip, I'll often say, I would, I would like to shake your hand again because what I just offered you was not a good handshake. So I still have that. <laughs> incentive you know yeah to, there's to do what my dad i think there's a whole science around handshakes yeah i mean really like yeah. like that's the way i was taught firm handshake but you know what i've learned over the years is my handshake has been so firm that like i don't do it as firm anymore because not as many people have as firm of a handshake and I, what i've learned is i would grab people's hands i'd shake them and i felt like i was squeezing them to to like crumbling that they were breaking or something and 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 so as recently i was shaking someone's hand and i didn't go in as uh, quite for the grip that I usually do. And I just remember like, oh man, that was a weak handshake. Let's do that again. Cause he had grabbed my hand and gave, gave that really firm handshake, the kind of handshake that we're talking about. And I had to, to repeat it because I'm so used to not having those firm handshakes anymore, which is yeah. interesting. Huh. I mean, is that, do you, do you experience that? Oh yeah. 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 So, yeah. but I have friends who, uh, I won't, I will bypass the handshake now if they're a good a friend and we go right to the hug. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's the thing that this is why I was I went to you first because I'm I'm similar. If I just have met him, I'll, I'll do a handshake. But um, I also handshake, and I, a, lot, a lot of times we'll also grab the arm. I just I don't know. There's something about um, bless you or I don't know. Like with the like, other I don't hand, know. There's with the opposite. Yeah. Hand. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> as opposed to a hugs, handshake, hugs where are you a big slide deal. Up the arm with the hand. 
<laughs> no, no sliding up that the arm. Just be. But but hugs, I agree. If you've known them for a while, yeah. Bypass the now there is the like common man handshake where it's like you grab the the you know the 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 arms not more with a shake but with a grip and then you come in and the and the arms kind of sit in the middle as you give a, a pat hug. But man, I'm I'm all about the full hug where you get in there and you give a really big hug and you're cheek to cheek. And I will tell you this, very few people on the East Coast do this. They think I'm weird. But man, I want to oh, hug. Can't like we're gonna hug. Like, give a good hug, because there are times where I've I've I I've even hugged you, Walt, and sometimes you're like, okay, <laughs> too 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 much. I I want to go in there and I want to get a good hug, cheek to cheek. Come on, brother to brother. All right, so now now <laughs> I have so much to look forward to. Group hug next, next time. time we all meet. Well, I'm gonna be on edge now. You know, am I going to do this right for Jason? You're going you're gonna, gonna, to have performance yeah. anxiety. Oh, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Well, well, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about youth culture? We should probably talk about youth yeah, culture. That'd yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking this question. You're not even comfortable guys. with the question. You don't even want to talk about hugging right now. You want to move away from I don't from mind this, hugging. Which is, almost, which is almost making my point very clear. Like, you're it. making my point by trying to move on. Yeah, you're just putting me on the spot because next time I see you, it's gonna I'm gonna have to think about it. I won't sleep the night before because I'm gonna wonder if if that well, is am I gonna is this gonna be okay for Jason? So it's not brought up anymore in any more podcasts. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I actually like the question. Yeah. All right. That's, that's a generational thing. That's a that's a yeah. yeah that's a Gen X question, right? Yeah, I mean, it just it depends on the person. So, yeah, again, yeah, I does. don't mind touch. I mean, it, I don't it, mind it, it hugs. depends on backgrounds. It depends yeah. on um, how you feel. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, so well, we let's talk. talk let's talk two-minute drill. Let's talk a little bit about youth culture and keep this moving here. Yeah, let, I know we've got some. Yeah, let's do. And let's see if we can keep these two minutes. I always right, say that. Go for but, it. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Well, the the first uh, trend that I, I really wanted to look at was. Um, What's happening with youth in conversation that's happening in, in the, the, the home and then even outside of the home? Uh, there was a, an experiment right near your front door out in Philly there, Walt, that was just recently done uh, in grocery stores where they wanted uh, – a group was trying to start uh, conversations uh, between uh, children, toddlers, and their parents. And so they created environments that really operated much like a classroom. So in the grocery store, they uh, provided uh, questions about, uh, you know, what's near the milk and would say, where does this milk come from? Or if it's uh, near the vegetables, uh, what is your favorite vegetable? Really trying to get children to engage in conversation. Because one of the things that they find is that extra family chatter that happens in low-income neighborhoods actually helps with a word gap that actually occurs in these areas. Um, ultimately, um, because of some of the language development that, that happens for a variety of different re uh, reasons. But children only spend um, about 20% of their time in the classroom thinking that's where they would learn to grow. So what, what individuals, educators, and others are trying to do is provide these spaces uh, both in grocery stores and even outside of it. In the next year or so, they're going to create these environments where they have opportunities to learn near bus stops and really to uh, not only create more chatter, more conversation, but also playing and laughing together as a family, which I think is 
really, really cool. I think it's going to be a, a great way to just spark conversation, to enter into and learn how to have conversations as families. Mm, mm. And and that's important in a world saturated with social media because we know that yes. one of the aspects of life that is suffering right now and diminishing is the ability to converse. And so looking people in the eye, talking about things, being comfortable in a conversation with someone who's not your age or older, an adult, let's say, uh, it's becoming more and more difficult. So, yeah, any any opportunity for a teachable moment and, and to have conversation is good. All right, so, all right, I heard about this this thing that's happening, Jason, and I'm not sure what I think about it. Let me tell you about it first. And this comes out of Santa Clara, California, the Santa Clara County, California Office of Education and the National Association for Bilingual Education has now started a campaign. It actually launched about a year ago to have educators in school districts across the country, not just there in Santa Clara, take a pledge to pronounce students' names correctly in order to avoid microaggression, the microaggression of mispronunciation. And I know you've got a last name that's difficult. What's one of the weirdest pronunciations you've ever had of yours? Oh, the common one was Susanek. Yeah, Susanek, that which was, is how I mispronounced was, it. And I guess I was I was involved in microaggression by just botching your last name. But my last name, too, Mueller, you know, I would get yeah. Muller, Miller, that sort of thing. People would mispronounce it. Uh, Lisa's maiden name was Coral, C-O-R-L-E. She, we just had a conversation with someone yesterday that people would go, Lisa Corley. And, you know, Lisa would raise her hand in school and go, yeah, that's me, whatever. Um, you know, yeah. pronounce it however, however you want. But... I mean, the fact that we are now becoming so into micromanaging this that somehow here's a quote from the campaign mispronouncing a student's name truly negates his or her identity, which in turn can hinder academic progress. Now, look, I maybe at times when people deliberately mispronounce a name intentionally to insult yeah. somebody, that, that's an issue. That's not right. But when you just don't know how to pronounce the name that we go so far as to, you know, ostracize people for that? I mean, where is grace? And by the way, if school is truly about educating kids to be lifelong learners, that assumes that there's never a point in your life where you know everything. There's always something else to learn. That's right. And shouldn't a teacher be granted that grace as well? That maybe uh, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce a student's last name and we'll learn this together? Yeah. Well, so I, I, again, it's, it's I think in, it's I mean, getting out of hand, but that's these my These students opinion. or these these studies, the individuals that did this should just sit in one of my fantasy leagues for a little bit because I have done it both here on this podcast and I've also done it uh, in the fantasy leagues that I'm a part of with sports players, which yeah. I um, feel bad about, but uh, there's no sort of aggression attached to it. Uh, one, The next story comes out of Phoenix, my hometown where I grew up, and one of the things I, I love is when I see stories of students, teens, that are actually doing things to uh, better their community or help with education, and, and one of these uh, programs that, that teens have kind of launched, started, overseen is a thing called Generation Tech, and what they're doing is they're helping uh, older generations understand their smart devices, their phones, their iPads, their their um, tablets, their, their even their computers. And uh, it's, it's provided a space for teens to learn some leadership skills and to learn uh, how to engage in conversation with someone that's older, but also then uh, providing opportunities for those that are older that might not have as much access or feel uh, anxious about using 
their devices or even getting on things like Facebook or social media. They're providing opportunities to learn. And, and I just uh, – the thing that stands out to me is um, – I think that there's great opportunities even in the church for us to be able to utilize some of the knowledge that our teens have to be able to work hand in hand with the older generation and vice versa. I, I This is just a story that stood out to me, but I just think, gosh, what are ways that we and the church could actually utilize some of the knowledge that our teens have and create these environments where there's learning, but learning that's happening both ways? Because I think that there's, there's gifts and there's knowledge that each possess that actually can be used to glorify God and what a better way than within a community and that just sparked out of this this one program that was happening in Phoenix obviously they're not a church this is not necessarily the goal but it's just something that I thought about as I saw this in the yeah. news so you've got me thinking now just so we you know as we encourage adults to mentor students maybe one way yeah. for students in our churches to mentor adults would actually be to set up a formal mentoring program where adults bring their devices Clueless yeah. adults, you know, older people, they bring their devices and students walk them through how to use them and, and operate them. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, Christmas— I also think—well, I, well, I think it would also, just r- real quick, give, give the students even opportunity to take responsibility for how they use their devices. I think yeah, there a lot could of be times some good just simply them that. talking about it. Yeah. 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 So, sorry. Well, Christmas is coming, and I want to mention this because one of the newest things out there that's the rage and more and more kids are asking for this as our adults— are these virtual reality headsets that you hook your smartphone into or other devices. And I'm sure these virtual reality headsets are just in infancy. They're going to develop very quickly. The technology with these is going to develop over the years. However, this is where I think parents need to show a little bit of restraint. You know, just because a kid wants it and it's new, do we get this? Because there are concerns, many of them unstated, unknown at this point, some that will arise, you know, health-related or related to the development of the brain that experts are now warning about. It reminds me of that famous quote from Marshall McLuhan, who said, first we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. And we typically don't know how our tools shape us until they've misshaped us. And it's usually at that point too late. And so, there are, this holiday season, some warnings coming out from folks. The, the makers of these, for example, H, HTC said young children shouldn't be allowed to use their headset at all. Google has said that its cardboard headset should be used by kids only under adult supervision. There's really no, no explanation that's been offered for these recommendations. But health people are saying that the, the, the you know, the virtual reality as it is right now, we're not sure how it affects people. And because the brain is very plastic in young ages, uh, prolonged exposure with these devices could cause damage. So, and some of the concerns relates to the, the impact of virtual reality technology can have on kids in their eyes. So, and that's just the start. That's just scratching the surface. So, just to pass on to people that the warning is being issued, you know, don't jump into getting virtual reality headsets for your kids too soon because the long-term damage could be significant and the research is being done right now to see actually what that damage might be. Yeah, that's a really good word. Just be aware of what's out there. I mean, you have a virtual reality headset, right, Walt? <laughs> no. No, I don't. Obviously, I don't. I've thought yeah. about it, though. I mean, I'd be, be kind of neat to see the commercials are kind of cool, you know, in terms of what yeah. this is. I'm curious. <laughs> no, I'm great curious. word. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the last things that I came across just recently was a new thing called Musical.ly. It's a it's a new tool. It's a new app um, that, uh, that preteens are using, so our teens. 
uh, and it's a place where uh, their teens and preteens are encouraged to live out their passion their, and have creative expression through the use of videos attached to uh, music. And well, this is kind of a new trend. I, I know that my uh, niece and uh, nephews have, have utilized this technology, have utilized this tool. And it's just something that I think that we uh, as youth workers and parents should just be aware of. It's, it's something that um, we're going to have uh, our preteens and teens uh, looking at, maybe participating in. So it's one more place where there's a potential for danger. It's also a great place, too, for expression of some of the gifts that you have, which is, uh, which is a really great thing to be able to do. Um, really, the short of it is it's just a place where you can express yourself and, 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 uh, through music, do art, whatever it is. It's recorded like it would be a particular uh, video. Then others have the opportunity to like or follow or comment. Uh, the, uh, the thing that I have liked about this is there's, there, there are opportunities to uh, report inappropriate content, uh, but and they really want to, it seems like the creators of this want to create fun and safe environments. In fact, if you go to the Musical.ly uh, uh, page, there is a place specifically for parents to understand the technology and to lay out some boundaries and some ways in which they need to be aware uh, of how their preteen and teens are using it, which I, I actually really liked. I don't know if really any other tools like this that have done this for parents. And so I would encourage you to be aware of this because this might be something that um, some of the individuals in your lives are engaging. And just to go on real quick and check it out. Yeah, so so it's another platform to be aware of and it's another opportunity to get to know kids and another opportunity to exercise your responsibility to, to monitor kids. And by the way, when I say yes. get to know kids, you get to know a little bit about what's beating through their heart and what's important to them so you can can bring the light of the gospel to bear on that. Speaking of what beats in our heart and what's important to us, I don't know who first said it, but you know that the old cliche that show me your checkbook and I'll show you who or what your idol idols are. You know what it is that you worship in life in terms of how you spend your money. There's a lot of research that's been done over the years by marketing firms on where the different generations spend their money that that guides marketing and helps build. Uh, loyal cu uh, loyal customer bases. Marketers tap into that. I've tracked with that for years. Uh, Peter Zalo certainly was one who used to help us uh, with that. Teenage Research Unlimited, but now Business Insider is reporting uh, that they've done some research on uh, non-millennials and millennials and the differences in the way they spend their money. And for those of us who want to reach millennials, I think it's quite telling that millennials are actually spending a lot more than the other generations on what would be classified or called experiences. So this would include things like travel, entertainment, and dining. And in fact, the hard data, the hard research that comes from credit and debit cards, uh, this is the uh, categories of spending uh, distribution by these different generations. Millennials were spending 34% of their money, the money they were spending on experiences like travel, entertainment, and dining, and then non-millennials were spending 28%. So it's, it's, it's significant enough to report on and lower. I just pass this on because kids are experience-driven. And I think we need to keep that in mind. And certainly where we can leverage that to lead them to the truths of Christ through actually experiencing what it means to minister, to actually experience what it means to pray, to actually experience what it means to study the Bible. We need to tap into that. But at the same time, I do think we need to push back on any type of experience-driven concept of God. 
uh, that at times that can eclipse and cloud and move kids away from understanding, you know, hard truth. And there is hard truth. And I think about that, you know, in our podcast a while ago with Sean McDowell, we we talked about that. So we don't want to cave to experience, but we want to understand it and we want to we want to manage it and balance it in the right way. So um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. You know, where where we spend our money, that tells us what's important to us and experience is on the rise. Well, this is good. And we will continue to keep uh, folks posted on what's happening in youth culture. As always, we remind you, go to cpyu.org. You can sign up for our weekly youth culture e-update where you'll be able to hear about the, the latest things that are happening in youth culture. And as always, for this podcast, go to our homepage, cpyu.org, click on the podcast page, and all the stories we just mentioned, they'll be there. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation I am really looking forward to. We're going to get to talk to Jeremy Affelt, retired major league pitcher. Uh, Jeremy's a, a friend of Jason's, a great guy who's doing, not, not only was a great pitcher, but is doing some, some pretty incredible ministry work, and it'll be fun, fun to hear about that, talk with him about baseball and ministry when we come back from this break. In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate the difficult landscape of the emerging digital frontier to the glory of God, we've launched a digital kids initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our digital kids initiative and a growing number of free resources and downloads by visiting the website at digitalkidsinitiative.com. This is one more way that we're helping you lead your kids to live lives where their faith in God is integrated into the growing amount of time they're spending with social media and technology. Welcome back to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. We're excited to have uh, as our guest today, Jeremy Affelt. Jeremy Affelt is a friend of mine. Uh, he has played in the major leagues for 14 years, uh, just recently retired, but still does work with San Francisco Giants uh, organization, uh, which we'll probably get to here in a second. But um, out of that time in the major leagues, he had a heart that just grew for uh, compassion issues. Uh, and he wrote a book just recently called To Stir a Movement. And, and he's been doing that really uh, for many of the years that he was in the major leagues and continues to do so after his retirement. So I'm excited to have him here as a guest and, and Jeremy, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here with us. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, hey, we're going to just dive right into some conversation. We thought uh, a good place to start was would just be to maybe talk briefly about your uh, career in the major leagues, what it's meant to you, and then just some of your passions that have uh, come forward during that time. I, I also would like to highlight the fact that you have – uh, gone to the World Series more, and you've also won more World Series championships than my Cubs have in the last hundred years. So, congrats on that. One hundred and like fourteen, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the the uh, the quick the quick version of of my of my career. Um, I signed out of high school. I went to high school at Northwest Christian in Spokane, Washington, and at seventeen years of age, uh, I was drafted by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, I turned 18 shortly after that and signed with them and was sent to Fort Myers, Florida. I spent four and a half years in the minor leagues um, and was fortunate enough to make the team in 2002 at a spring training. Uh, and I never looked back. I spent 14 years in the major leagues 
and like you said, and, and uh, the first four and a half were pretty rough on me uh, in Kansas City. The first couple of years were great because it was a situation where I was in the big leagues at a young age. I was 22 when I got to the big leagues, and it was the greatest thing ever. And after two years and losing almost 100 games a year uh, for for four and a half years, except for one of them, after those two years of a kind of a honeymoon period with, with Major League Baseball, I actually hated the game. Uh, because I didn't like losing. I got tired of being hurt. I was hurt a lot and just weird injuries. I have a history of weird injuries over the course of my career, but uh, just started dealing <laughs> with them. We won't get into that here. Yeah, yeah. There's some groins and some weird stuff that goes on, you know, in those injuries. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of, for me, um, I, I remember I, I, I just hated the game after four and a half years, and I, I begged God to trade me and, and move me and um, at the All-Star break in tw- uh, 2006, I was traded to Colorado. Uh, that made uh, – I-, I was pretty excited to be traded until I was halfway to Denver, and I remember that it doesn't have uh, gravity uh, in Colorado. And-, and then I asked – I told God, maybe I should have been a little more specific in my prayer of where to trade me, not the worst place possible uh, when it comes for a pitcher <laughs> to pitch in. Um, and, but you know what, I spent a year and a half, uh, there and you know what, my last year there, once I went to my first world series in 2007, uh, what an awesome experience. I never thought I'd go to a world series and then also to have one of my best years actually, uh, in, in baseball. And not only that, but go to the world series. It was also there where I met a young lady, uh, uh, a homeless girl that changed my life and, um, kind of got me on this whole deal of disturbed movement, the book that I authored and, and, uh, and, and changed who I was and, and why I played the game of baseball. So it was a great stop. And I spent one year with Cincinnati Reds. Um, have no idea why I went there, to be honest with you. It was like a one-year stop. Uh, I did learn a sinker, which was the pitch I became known for for the last seven years of my career, uh, which is something I needed to learn uh, going into to San Francisco where I signed after that year of Cincinnati and, and uh, then ended up being a part of three world championships. Uh, and what a, what an awesome experience San Francisco was for me because San Francisco taught me how to uh, understand cultural differences. Um, uh, there's obviously a lot of cultural differences there. There's a lot of political differences. There's a lot of um, uh, uh, liberal differences there. And, and just learning how to love people, whether you agree with them or not, was something that I had to I had to learn, and that was the perfect city for me to learn that. And God took me on a really interesting journey on uh, in understanding what it truly meant to love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor if only they agree with you type scenario. And so for me, it was awesome. And I wow. uh, really enjoyed the whole career. Uh, and I just decided last year at the end of the year uh, to hang them up. I felt I needed to spend more time with my family. Um, to be honest with you, as a Major League Baseball player, you know, I've been married for 17 years this November. Um, and I've really only known my wife truly for the last four years because I just, you know, I, I got married at 20 and, uh, major leagues can be really glamorous in, in view, but really tough on marriages and tough on families. And we're gone a lot. And, you know, even though we're home for four straight months, you really don't get enough time to, to get settled before you have to go back again. And so it, my last four years of my marriage has, uh, been, you know, probably my most meaningful and then now I'm transitioning out of baseball, and it's been a really interesting journey this year of just trying to understand what it means to be a husband and a father in a different way. And Friction at times, very tough at times, very frustrating at times, but very, very fun too. And, and uh, I've really enjoyed the transition, and, and this was a perfect time for me to uh, walk away from the game. I'm 37. I have three boys, nine, six, and four, uh, and, and I was 
I'm very thankful for the 14 years of my of my career. It, it meant a lot. It brought a lot. I learned a lot of life issues. I learned a lot of life scenarios. I learned uh, tons of things that I get to go in and talk to people about about you know, whether it be sports or being a man or or being an athlete, a Christian athlete in a very secular world. Uh, so everything was good for me. It came full circle. I walked away of Kansas City a. Uh, uh, my first time feeling like a loser and feeling like I hated the game of baseball and pretty much my last year I didn't play there but the last time I walked off that field in Kansas City I was a world champion so it was a full circle of life for me when it came to baseball and, mm. and uh, everything God did and orchestrated was pretty impressive and I'm very thankful for it. Hey can I you know, can I follow up yeah, on that Jason? Well, I just want to ask Jeremy as you tell your story you know I'm thinking about kids I'm thinking about my own childhood Jason and I have talked about you know playing baseball when we were kids and dreams, which you realized, and obviously we didn't, uh, related to professional athletics. But many parents today, you talked about being a parent, being a husband, being a dad. You know, they push kids. They expect kids to rise to the top. We've got kids on travel teams and elite teams that, in our area here, four and five years old. Do, do I mean, to, to parents, what would you say to parents about – you know the the life of that you that you had in major league baseball obviously some trade-offs there from what you said people don't realize the reality if you had an audience of parents who have young kids and those kids are involved in sports and parents are pushing what would you say to them well one i'll never tell a kid he you know not to chase his dreams right. but i would remind parents that you know there's less than a one percent of 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 baseball players from little league on up that ever make it to the big leagues it's actually one percent of a one percent or something so to be honest with you to see some of these parents and how aggressive they are how angry they get at some of the games maybe even like with umpires who are have no idea what a strike zone is to be honest with you i've seen a couple little league games here recently and and they have no idea what a strike and a ball is they're doing their best they're paid 20 bucks a game or whatever it is they're not paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to call these pitches nor do your kids understand how to hit a fastball yet, so they don't need to be trying to work on all these other pitches to throw. Um, or, you know what, frankly, they don't even really know if they like the game. They yeah. know the parents do. They know the parents are yelling and screaming and, and, and pushing them and, and, and finding their worth through their children. And I think you put a lot of pressure on kids uh, to find worth but based on whether they succeed or fail on a baseball field. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, every parent thinks their kid it should be should be good at something, and and and, and reality is your kids aren't going to be good at everything, no matter what you think. And and you're getting on coaches for not playing them more, or their kids should be doing this or that, and 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 it's very hard to coach, to be honest with you. So to get on coaches for not doing what you want them to do, he can't please or she can't please everybody. Uh, but the, also the pressure of of playing sports. You know, I remember, you know, when I grew up, be frankly honest with you, I didn't I didn't go to a baseball camp my entire life. Mm. I, I had raw talent and I was drafted off raw talent and I didn't start playing basketball until I was in sixth grade. You know, I, I didn't even, you know, so I, there, there are some areas where you can develop later in life. You don't have to do it nonstop all day, every day, all year long when you're four or five years old because you got to remember these kids are trying to be kids, man. They're trying to play. They're trying to... And, and I know just with my own kids, like, I'm not – they got all kinds of interests. They'll want to play baseball one day and be a doctor the next and then want to be a basketball player. So to force kids to be one way because you want them to be a certain way and live your life through them, it puts a lot of pressure on these kids. And I can tell you I've played with several major league athletes 
that literally had the worst relationship with their parents because their dads pushed them so hard that when they got to the major leagues, their dad was more excited than they were. And they honestly didn't even want anything to do with their dad. And and they wouldn't have even been a major league baseball player if their dad would have pushed them. But he pushed them so hard that any time that they felt like they couldn't do something, they felt they let their dad down or their mom and dad down. And so they kept doing it out of guilt or shame. And then they get to the major leagues and they don't even enjoy it. I, I mean, I, I, I've spent guys, tons of time with guys that have great talent. And they would rather do anything but baseball. But they're afraid of how they're going to let their family down because of how they've been uh, raised in some of their family history issues. So, you know what I mean? I want your. I, I I feel like with kids, man, let them be them. It's hard sometimes, but but you know, for, I I think the pressure that you put on a five and six year old boy to help your identity as a parent. Think about the pressure of that. Yeah, the way well, they're good. Mom and dad yeah. yell and scream, and at, at umpires who don't get paid, or if their kid doesn't do well, or if they don't swing right, or if they don't throw the ball right, or if they don't. I mean, sometimes. It's really hard to do as parents. Sometimes you, I can see, like, even sometimes you, you, I've even had to kind of be careful of it. But to gain for my kid at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even 15, 16 years old to, to be somebody to, so that my parents can be proud and have an identity issue, mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, hey, are, Jimmy, your, are, your boys, can I, are your boys just a minute, Jason? Are your boys playing baseball yeah, yeah. now? I think you're going where I'm going. Your, your boys <laughs> playing? Nice. They're nine, six, and four. Yeah. Uh, my son, my oldest, my, my excuse me, my oldest son, my nine-year-old, uh, he remembers the game probably more than my other two do. Um, and you know, I'll ask him if he wants to play baseball, and he's pretty, he's pretty harsh in his no, and wow. he doesn't want anything to do with it. And I think that he wounded him a little bit. It took daddy away quite a bit. Um, and it's just some kids grab it and be like, hey, you know, this is the greatest thing. Let's. You know, let's let you know. I want to be like my dad in this stuff, or I want to play. And and for me, for me, I just feel like, um, for me, I just feel like there's a, there's a situation where um, I I wanted to be I, I I see I read my son like that, and I think, man, like I can't force you to play something that you that you 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 absolutely dislike because it took me away. You know, my other two love the game. They, they play T-ball and, and they run around and tackle. My oldest is a pretty sensitive kid and, and he, I'm trying to let him just be who he wants to be because I think he has a worry that I'm, he's going to be in my shadow. He doesn't want to – sometimes he doesn't, I don't even think he wants to play basketball even though he kind of plays – he's pretty good at it, but I don't think he wants to always play it because dad played it and I kind of coach him a little bit. He, he's afraid he's not going to add up. And, and I try to walk with him through that. But – uh, I'm trying to read my kids differently and not force them to do what they don't want to do. And if they don't want to ever play baseball, that's fine. If they want to, you know, do something that I have no idea how to do, then I'll war- then I'll learn how, how how it's done and try to work with them through it. But the last thing I'm going to do is put pressure on my kids to to do or play something that they don't want to do yeah. or play. That's good. Can can you see being a can you see being like an umpire is getting paid ten bucks? You know, you're 17 years old and Jeremy shows up at the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, man. I'll tell you what, I'd quit right there. <laughs> no, I know the strike zone. My kid in T-ball, I was helping my my middle one uh, play shortstop, and I was putting him at shortstop. And the coach didn't know who I was, and I was kind of just I was just helping as a dad. And I moved him over, and he said, "Hey, Jeremy, shortstops play a little bit closer to the bag and a little bit back. That's where they play. So, why don't you?" I'm like, "Oh, is that where shortstops play?" Oh man, sorry, I didn't. I didn't know that. It's 
uh, I apologize. And I moved him completely out of position so that the coach could be okay with where he's at. But I had to bite my tongue a few times on uh, on some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it is with me and Jason. I bite my tongue a lot. I just yeah, let him go. I, I bite my tongue with yeah. him too. I know. <laughs> oh, I can feel like there's a lot of love in this podcast. That's great. Well, hey, uh, Jeremy, one of the things, because I, I really appreciate the way that you're talking about your kids, and I know that you and I have talked a little bit about that. And um, and I think there's even something with sports that I've seen that you've modeled as a professional athlete. And I and I think I saw this most when uh, uh, it was right when you, uh, it was right after you'd come to the San Francisco Giants. And you, there was an issue with, um, I think it was at the Giants stadium, and there was a Dodgers fan that had gotten hurt. Um, or was it vice versa? Was it the other no, way around? No, it was a Giants fan that got hurt at a Dodgers game in L.A. after That's opening right. day. I remember. I was I and, was in L.A. that I was there to speak that weekend and watch that whole thing. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember I remember um, you were uh, delegated as the individual from the San Francisco Giants to go. And, and, and not just delegated. You wanted to, to be able to participate in that. And so I, I would love to – because we're talking about sportsmanship. And I remember you had an opportunity to share – before a game and you just had some words around the game and and even outside of that I remember having conversations around uh, faith and, and God and who God wants to win uh, would you just share for those of, uh, of uh, those listeners that are maybe for the first time hearing this maybe kind of real quickly describe the situation and then share some of the stuff that you had uh, shared uh, both of the game and then with the media yeah you know Brian Stowe uh, was the was the uh, fan that was hurt and he was just coming after a after a Dodgers game and he was walking out to the parking lot and uh wearing a Giants jersey and he got attacked I think it was a, it, they feel like it was a gang thing and and uh, he got attacked and knocked down and in 45 seconds he got his head beat in so bad they had to take part of his skull um he went into a uh, he just I mean he literally he he was pretty much I mean, in a coma for, for a long time, I visited him when he was actually had half a skull and it was a very scary thing to see. Um, he got, you know, brought all the way back down to baby infant status. When he came out of it, he had to learn how to crawl, walk, talk. His humor even was let lowered down so far down to like, almost like he would laugh at six and seven year old jokes. Um, very, very tough thing for me to watch. He had two kids. He's 40 years old. Um, he's still trying to learn how to walk, you know, appropriately and get through some stuff. And it's going to be a tough life for him. Um, uh, but it happened in 45 seconds and it was all because he was wearing a Giants jersey in the Dodger stadium and, and, and they didn't like it and, and they attacked him, uh, over it. Uh, and we, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants came together on the next homestand at our place. And we all both teams walked on the field and we talked about what it meant to be a true rival. And so we got to be honest, and a lot of players don't get to do that. So I just stood in front of the mic. But, you know, it was actually a little bit of an – I don't get intimidated by a, very, by a whole lot of things, to be honest with you. But uh, I think on this subject alone, it was pretty tough. And you had actually media from almost every outlet in the, in the world were filming it. It, it was – I, I, I could not believe um, the amount of – it was almost like at a World Series game, the amount of cameras that were there to film the, the speeches from the Dodger, uh, Jamie Carroll, who's a friend of mine on um, the Dodgers and then myself talking and I just basically addressed the crowd on the whole issue of what it really meant to be a fan and to understand that players even players themselves in rivalries you know we do we get into it we fight we argue we throw, hit each other with baseballs and and charge the mound and 
you know, we get into these things, right? There's a lot of testosterone on that field, and it's not nice testosterone. I mean, this isn't like friendly competition. This is, look, man, this is what I do for a living. It's no longer little league, and 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 it's not just having fun. It's it can be a little different. And but the reality of it is, is at the end of the game, the game's over. Whether you win or lose, it's over, and you leave it on the field. And the fans need to, they need to understand that the the people that get the most out of this the fans seem to get a bit more angry than the players and the players aren't even that upset about losing the game we like rivalries they're good cheering booing is a part of the game cheer boo do whatever you want to do but when you take a physical assault to somebody based on the fact that the jersey they're wearing doesn't doesn't replicate yours and you just want to be mad about it because maybe your team won and lost the bragging rights is whether your team won and lost the bragging rights isn't the fact that they're wearing a jersey of the team that lost and you should beat them up uh, because you, you beat up another fan from a, from another team. And uh, everybody has a right to be a fan and cheer for who they want to cheer for. And, and, and if they lose, you can tell them they, they, they you, can, you can do whatever you want. There's, there's fan, there's fun fan conversations and little, little banter here and there. But the reality of it is when you take physical harm to a person and change their life based on the fact that, that a team won and lost a game is unacceptable to me. And the fans, we take off our uniform and we put on our regular street clothes. We get in our cars and we go home. And we get up the next day and we try to win again. Maybe we're upset for a little bit, but we get over it. And we don't, there, there is nothing that a fan can justify uh, when doing those kind of harmful acts to a human being because of the fact that they don't wear the same jersey that you wear, root for the same team you root for. We don't even get that angry. Um, and so that needs to stay on the field. And you need to cheer. And when you leave the stadium, let it go. It's all right. Be excited for your team. But to, to, to create violence, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that people get so angry when their team loses because, again, they're gaining their identity yeah. through a team that, that of a bunch of guys that, has no, that have literally no idea who you are. We know you cheer for us or you don't like us because you boo us. I don't know you personally. I don't, frankly, I don't know what makes you sleep at night. But the reality of it is – is you guys should not lose sleep over whether you win or lose, or whether you're, uh, you know, that we lose sleep over that. But we don't take physical harm to anybody on, on the streets because of it, you know. And and for me, you know, this identity thing is a really big deal. This really idea of a fan is a really big deal. Be a fan. You can be upset when your team loses because you're rooting for them and you're let down. But when you get rage, anger, like you are way too caught up in the situation, and you're seeing that. You're seeing states, cities. Uh, get so have an identity crisis over an 18, 20, 25 year old woman or man, whether they can catch a football or baseball or softball or make a basket, and 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 literally their world comes to an end if they don't come through. And, and to me, that's an issue, and that's an issue that's being now put on these young kids of identity and who they are. And so for me, you know what, I I I don't I don't agree with with fan violence at all. And, and uh, it needs to stop and, and it needs to go away. And if you're that angry or if you're that happy based on a win and a loss, I think there's other people out there that get paid a lot of money that can probably help you. And they're called counselors and you probably need it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Boy, this, this, and, this I, is really good because, you know, the, the more empty we are and, and the less we find our identity where we should, this is where we go with this stuff. Right. And, and I just... You know, this is what we talk about, Jason, all the time. You know, people are finding their, ide their identity, looking for a redeemer in all the wrong things. And sports is one of those places we go. 
living vicariously through our kids. This is good. This is good. It's really making me think about my uh, my love for the Philly teams right now. You're challenging yeah. me, Jeremy. That's good. Don't don't oh, say. Man. Yeah. I hope there's a lot of Philly fans out there. They all need to be challenged. They, <laughs> they are angry individuals at those games, boy. Man. I get that. I've been there. I've been yeah. there all those years of going to those games. Good. Hey, we should take a break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll pick up the conversation again. We're talking to Jeremy Affelt. We're talking about uh, his career in Major League Baseball and what he's doing now with uh, nonprofits and ministry and working with kids. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Here at CPYU, we're taking steps to help parents, youth workers, educators, and anyone else who cares about kids help the kids they know and love navigate the difficult issues of life. We've put together a one-day training seminar called Tackling the Tough Stuff that we can bring to your community. Over the course of the day, Mark Penner and I will provide information and practical steps you can take to address narcissism, pornography, self-injury, depression, suicide, and a variety of other tough issues kids face in today's world. To learn more about bringing Tackling the Tough Stuff to your church or community, go to cpyu.org backslash toughstuff or call us at 1-800-807-CPYU. Welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. Again, our guest is Jeremy Affelt. And uh, Jeremy, we love to do something here on this podcast with our guests. This allows our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. It's called Take 5. And uh, for this episode, we have Walt asking the question. So I apologize in advance for any that you might be asked. Uh, so Walt, take it away. What are yeah. your uh, five questions for okay. Jeremy? Okay, I've got one serious question. And then uh, I'm going to ask you some baseball questions because... I'm just, I love baseball. I'm curious about this. But oh, let me give you the serious one. Outside of the Bible, because I know whenever, you know, like whenever you ask this question about books, people always feel like, well, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I better say the Bible. But outside of the Bible, what book has influenced you the most? And, I, and I'm guessing you read, you've, write, you've written books. So yeah. what book? Yeah, recommend it. Because we love telling people what to read. Yeah, you know, there's a book that impacted, but you know, it's not for everybody. I'll give you a couple that I really enjoy because I, I think that it depends on where you're at. You know, in, in my, there's a book I, I work with an organization called True Face. Uh, they saved my marriage a, a few years ago, um, but they wrote a, they wrote several books. But Bose Cafe is a book that I have read. It's a phenomenal book on a control. And most of us are control freaks in nature. If you're if you're even if you're successful, you're definitely a control freak one point or another you want things to go a certain way but Bose Cafe just deals with it's a story about a man that gets kicked out of his home uh, for verbally abusing his family and using anger and control and manipulation to 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 get his way and, and uh, he he got kicked out by his wife and he met a guy in a in a bar and uh, he he went on a journey with this guy in Bose Cafe and, and uh, it's just an interesting journey on understanding relationships and people and how not to try to control people and we try to do it uh, a lot of things go away and, and a lot of good things go away. Mm. And uh, for me, that was a book that highly impacted my life, still does. I listen to it probably every couple months on audiobook. It's a really good audiobook, actually. Um, then there's, uh, you know, another one that really changed my life um, was called The Shack. Uh, it's a very controversial book, but it was a good book. I really enjoyed uh, what it had to say. And, and, and I know the author personally, and I know the story behind the writing of it, which actually makes it a lot more understandable. Um, 
when it comes to life and dealing with life issues. And then the hole in the gospel, uh, by Stearns over oh, yeah, there, that's good. uh, was a, was a huge book for me on understanding our world and the culture, uh, um, on which the church, you think you, you, you focus, like you said, on, I got to say the Bible and I got to say these right things and I got to do this, but then we actually miss a lot of the point of why Jesus even came. And, um, it wasn't just for fire insurance. It was a big mm-hmm. part uh, you know, it comes to salvation and it comes for who we are in Christ, but what it means to be in Christ and uh, what it means to be followers uh, of Christ and, and how we can uh, really help change our country, our cities, our, our world by based on, uh, you know, the, you know, two simple things of love your God and, and love others. And uh, it's, you think it's a simple statement, but it's actually, I mean, obviously people know this, but it's way harder said than done. Yeah, and so yeah, those yeah. three books have been pretty impactful for yeah. me. That's good. We'll include links to all those, too, so that's good. All right, second question. Uh, what major league city, other than San Francisco, would you say has the most baseball-savvy fans, people who know the game the best? Yeah, Boston probably um, is probably one of the most baseball-savvy um, uh, cities anywhere. I mean, I had friends that played for them, and within one week uh, of playing for them, he couldn't even walk around town. Everybody knew who he was. they do his stats. they know what he did. Uh, very, very baseball savvy, in my opinion. It's one of the most historical teams, but the fans there are not just like, they're not like social fans. Those fans have passed. Knowledgeable. Man, and they're season ticket holders, almost all of them. There's rarely anybody that can get like, they very few can, you know, can you, of tickets can you get now that are just like, you can buy at the walk up, right? So uh, those people have passed their season tickets down for tens and 15 years. You know, it's been a pretty, uh, sometimes 30, 40, 50 years of passed down tickets. So that it's a great, it's a yeah. great city. Chris, you are right over there. I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. Chris is a Yankees <laughs> fan. Let's move on. Yeah, uh, number. <laughs> I love your answer. I was hoping you'd say Philadelphia. I'm not going to even ask you where those fans rank, but yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> just just enough, enough. Quiet, quiet. All right. So, so number three, I love this question. I really want to ask you this. The batter you feared the most. When this guy would come to the plate against you, you really had to crank it up. Man, I don't know if I had a a, a fear of of very many. I don't think I had a fear of any hitters, but I had issues with some. And you know what? I had an issue with a guy – and then I, then statistically, someone showed me the stats. And his stat, I was, I had better stats against than I thought, you know. Uh, but I think it's just because he hit the ball hardest when he did hit it off me, uh, you know. I, but I gotta think, Garrett Anderson was a guy that lefty on lefty. I should have owned him, and I actually had an okay, I guess. I, but I think it's every time he hit the ball, it was a rocket either at somebody, so I thought it was a hit, or it was a rocket for a hit, you know. And and because uh, I thought he was twelve for ten off me. Yeah, uh, you know, like I thought he hit balls so hard they gave him two hits for on one of them. You know, like I, I thought I never got him out, but yeah. uh, he, he, but he, but he was a guy I, I could not stand. If there was a, I started walking him. You know, I just would throw balls not even close, and he would look at me and I said, "Look, it's better than a double, man. So go to first. I'm not gonna sit there and give up <laughs> two runs here." So, uh, but he was a guy that I really had uh, had problems with. I felt like. Um, uh, you know, late in, you know, in the games, especially he was, he was a guy I just didn't, for whatever reason, I, I kind of had a mental block against. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Cause I know, you know, something about hitting because you had a season where you hit 500, right. As a pitcher. Yeah. 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 I was that's impressive. That is amazing. Year, I was a hall of fame hitter. It was great. Yeah. One for you know? two. 
That's right. right. Tell That's us right. about that hit. You probably <laughs> remember that, like, yeah, game-winning RBI. It was awesome. You know, like uh, Tony Tony Larusa uh, tried to pitch against me. Uh, uh, well, there was, I guess, the Dodgers was the one for two year. Uh, I had another year where I was two for three. Oh uh, man, I think or two for four. Maybe that's a five hundred year too. Yeah, there was something like that. The Dodger one was a full on hack. Like literally, guy was throwing ninety six with sink, took a full swing. The ball went off the end of my bat with such great cue speed, like it, <laughs> it literally zipped on the ground up the third base line, and I beat it out to first base. And I remember Orlando Hudson was a second baseman with the Dodgers, and he comes running over to second or coming over to first uh, just in case he had to back up a throw if they tried to make a throw to first and the second baseman was covering line. And he was over there, and he looked at me, and he goes, I just want to let you know a grown man hit that ball. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. A grown man hit a ball 30 feet, full swing, yeah, full swing, and it went 30 feet. It was, it was pretty impressive. That's that was awesome. my most impressive, I think, uh, trick hit. You know, I actually ran the hitting meeting after that. Because uh, our guys were struggling with hitting, so I went in and told them how to squash the bug and throw the hands, and 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 uh, learn how to like hit the ball, like look like you're going to hit the ball one way, and then throw the ball, and then hit the ball the other. I mean, it, they were they actually kicked me out of the hitters meeting, but I but I did get some uh, some great footage, video footage of that. It was it was pretty awesome. Oh man, that's awesome. We did. I was doing my homework. I did watch a few uh, YouTube videos of you. Yeah, and, uh, no. there was one game against the Braves. Well, I won't say anything about that. People can look at that. That that's phenomenal. That, yeah, yeah. Stay hanging. One of in the there greatest for... swings in sports history. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, all right. So it's another baseball question. Most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in a major league game? Man, was most anything... embarrassing. Yeah, happened to me uh, in a major league game. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in a minor man. league game. If the thing that pops into your head is you know your professional career. Yeah. In a major league game, I don't know much of an, of, of uh, you know what? In a can I do in a spring training game? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Still talk about it, man. We I was playing the Reds. Uh, I was with the Giants, and we went to Cincinnati over there. Well, where they in, where they played in their spring training, and a guy bunted a ball up a line, third baseline, is running on second, and I picked up the ball to throw to third to throw him out, and I and it was a young kid that they brought up from the minor leagues. And I fired. I picked up the ball and I fired it so fast uh, at him, and I and I and I tried to hurry up that the ball went by him before he even knew I threw it to him. So he was like looking for the ball, and I said I already threw it. <laughs> and he looked at me. He's like, "What? Yeah." And the ball literally went by him into the stands and hit like a seventy-year-old woman right in the chest, like squared her up. Like it was so bad that I sat there and felt. I, I literally, I, I thought. That I would be the first pitcher to actually that I uh, kill somebody, like like literally kill a fan throwing a ball because I threw it so hard and she was not she was not ready and it went so far up the third base line. This lady is in like straight no chance you're getting with a hit with a ballville right like there's no she's so far out there and she got squared up and the whole crowd was like oh and I looked in the dugout and Bochy's just shaking his head at me and they brought me out the next morning. I'm I'm th- I mean I got nine years in the big leagues, man. And they brought me out at like seven in the morning and I had to do like what they call PFPs. I'd do bunt drills and learn how to throw the ball to third. And they, now when I go back there, they actually tell me they're going to raise the net. Like they're going to raise one of those little foul ball oh, yeah. nets when I come into pitch. I mean, they, they actually request it. It might like, man, Bochy will be like, Oh, I'm bringing in affields. He might want to lift the net up, 
You know, like he'll he'll literally say that to him. And it was so embarrassing for me because you're a major league baseball player and, and I mean it was a bad throw too. I mean the whole thing was just straight not good. I mean the the, the throw was bad, the play was bad. It was literally I'd walk off the field thinking I, I need to stop playing now because if you're that unathletic in the play that you make, you don't deserve to be on a field. I mean it it was so bad. Yeah, man, it was so bad. Hmm. Well, speaking yeah, of athletic or non-athletic, yeah, go what's ahead. That? Go. I was. I got my next question. Oh yeah. Speaking. Yeah. Well, honestly, the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me though was I was a rookie in, in Seattle, uh, and they thought it'd be funny to unscrew the baby powder family pack cap. Uh, so it's like a really big bottle of baby powder, really big. I mean, like Costco version. Yep, yep. And, and, I, and I don't know how they knew I was going to walk in there, but I did. And I went to do baby powder stuff because that's what ballplayers do. So I put it down my pants for obvious reasons. Well, the cap <laughs> fell off and the whole entire thing went into my pants, but I didn't have time to change. So I had to run out there for the game because I couldn't be late. So I had to zip. I had to pull my pants and I'm running out to the field. Smart. And I got a bus and I'm sprinting across the field. And I got two teammates looking at me, stretching and laughing. I go, what? And I look behind me, and there's literally a thing of smoke coming yeah. out my rear end. It's like billowing, billowing out. It, it, I don't know what to do. And I go to sit down, and I sit down on the bullpen, and it's just a puff of smoke. And then I look down, and it's pouring out of my pants. Like, because I, I literally have like a – it's an um, amazing amount. And everybody's laughing. Problem is, is I got put into pitch that game. And I'm literally running in, and I look down, and I'm coming set, and my black cleats are like baby powder white. Like it's pouring out while I'm pitching. It's it's the most uncomfortable feeling. And I'm thinking, man, I, I really hope this isn't seeable. I mean, this is really bad, you know? And and it, guys were just – I mean, it was a really embarrassing moment for me because it was literally coming out. Fans were laughing as I was running out. They they, they called me smoke screen as I was running. It was, it was actually pretty impressive. That's what we call Kenton here. Well let me ask you uh let me ask you a fifth question here. And uh speaking of athletic or non athletic, you know, I don't know if Jason's told you, but he, he had he he's quite a hitter. Did he ever tell yeah. you that? I mean uh, he can re- he he said he could we've had discussions about this on the podcast. I mean, yeah. he really went off on this. So here, here, I want you to imagine this. You're facing Jason Soshenik. He's at the plate. Your first pitch, you're going to throw it <laughs> low and away, right down the middle or high and tight. What do you uh, think? Just, you know what? There's a good chance I'm probably going to buzz him a little bit. So go. I'll probably throw it up and in. Yeah. Just to see what he could do. I just want to see his reaction. That was my uh, answer, too. That's how yeah. I would answer. That's good. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> there. There, Jason, yeah, there might be some cursing in that. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I might see my life flash before my eyes. Yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll see about that. I I have never tried to take that offer from Jeremy. Although you you, when you would do when you would do a training, I would say, hey, I should come out and just sit in front of the batter's box and see what it's like. And then I I took a second thought as soon as I said that and said, no, I don't think I need to do that. You know <laughs> what, be- Jason? Here's what we should do. Next time I come out there, let's go to a ballpark. We'll get him there, get somebody to catch, and just each of us one time stand in a batter's box with a bat and <laughs> see if we can stay in there. Yeah. It would be really cool to that hit would... you, though, and see what you, what you guys think it would feel like to be hit. You know, like right oh, there. Yeah, that, would, like, be, that yeah. would be really cool. I'd, I'd actually love like, that. Yeah. Jason would be screaming like I would baby. scream. I'd, yeah. <laughs> you would scream. Oh, man. that That just doesn't sound fun, but – I don't know. Maybe it would be fun. 
It's a first time for everything. It's yeah. like a thrill ride. We could actually probably sell tickets. What it's like to be hit with a major league fastball. That's actually not a bad deal. That's yeah, by a major league ball player. That's actually a great fundraiser. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. You should do good. it for yeah. your nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who can take the most? Who can take the most? You just keep throwing at us. We'll take yeah. turns. You should like do that. Derby. You should yeah. do that at your upcoming banquet and do and, and yeah. do yes. Hundred yeah, bucks. Yeah, auction hit. that off. Yeah. I might try it. I might yeah, try that'd it. be awesome. I'm sensing a CPYU Project 619 there home run go. derby. That's it. Well, no, 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 no. It wouldn't be a home I, run no, derby. There's no I home run in this. Hang there's in no there, home derby. run. Stay it's in the just getting buzzed by Jeremy. That'd be it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. How fast did you right. throw, by the way, real quick? What was your what's, what was your fastest velocity when you throw you know fastball? Uh, you know what? I think there was a juice gun that told me I was throwing a hundred one day in St. Louis. Um, but I so I kind of feel like that's a little bit high but I, I i'd hit 99 98 a little bit uh when i was way younger you know and i threw a lot of four seams and then i found out the harder you throw it the further it gets hit you know most yeah. of the time so it's when i started taking a little off and putting movement on it and found out that i got way weaker contact and ground balls right to a second baseman rather than uh fly balls to the fan and left center you know it was it's i i there's a lot more you know there's a lot more success in the ground balls a second See, if you threw like that in that contest with Jason and I, I just can see Jason would win because he'd never see it. He'd just be standing yeah. in there going, well, go Oh, yeah, you have it. to throw yeah, it. Yeah, no. I did. I was a good yeah. hitter in let's, – let's clarify this. I was a great oh, hitter in high go. school. I was not anywhere close to ever even getting to another level. So, <laughs> like, yeah. that, this, this argument stops right there. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, go, we, go ahead, Jason. Anyways, yeah. Thanks for answering those questions. I can explain later, Jeremy. But let's, uh, let's pick up the conversation. Uh, you know, at the very beginning, we talked about you wrote a book called To Stir a Movement. And I want to steer our conversation into um, how that book even came about, how um, this movement that you are now a part, a part of came about. And, and maybe what we should do is start with um, the story that you began to tell about the, the girl that you met in Denver. And maybe then share uh, what has come of that. Yeah, when I got traded to Denver, uh, I hated the game of baseball, and I hated actually just um, a lot of things about life because I didn't really understand purpose. Uh, it was Groundhog's Day for me. You go to the field, you get cheered, you get booed, you go home. But I didn't, you know, I'm kind of built a little differently. Some guys are built like they they can be okay with that. But I but I'm built on the idea of you got to have impact in what you do. And I didn't really understand what baseball was doing. I understood what it could be doing for superstars. But I didn't understand what it did it for the average player or just someone that's maybe not at a superstar status, uh, which I was not. So I, you know, I, I just kind of questioned, you know, what I, why I was playing the game and why I was here. And I remember walking to Starbucks after I got traded in downtown Denver. Uh, I was living at the hotel at the time, and and I walk, I was walking to Starbucks, and there was a little, uh, you know, probably a sixteen year old girl. There's a lot of street kids in in Denver. Uh, they con- congregate there for whatever reason. There's just a lot of them, and uh, there was a homeless uh, teenage girl there, about, like I said, about 16, and you know, black, you know, black guy, split lip, torn clothes, probably not the best night the night before, um, and scared to death. She was actually outside of a Rite Aid, eating a cup of noodles, a dry cup of noodles, and she was shaking a little bit. And I reached down to touch her shoulder, and she kind of shied away from me. And I said, "I don't, I don't want anything from you. I just want to know if you want something to eat." And she said, "That'd be great." So I went in and into Starbucks, and I got her one of those naked sludgy drinks that, you know, the green one that looks terrible but tastes good type thing and uh, has a lot of nutrients. And I got her something with the most sugar she could possibly have. You know, I think she needed some sugar. And um, 
I got her a blueberry muffin or whatever it was. And I walked out and grabbed it to her or handed it to her and she grabbed it from me and she ripped it from me and just was so thankful, but she was so hungry. And she looked up at me and said, thank you. And it was an interesting scenario for me because in, in my world as a baseball player, I, I felt really lonely. I didn't know who I could talk to about my situation. Uh, you know, I, I felt like who's going to, who's going to want to listen to a guy say he hates playing major league baseball, every kid's dream when they grew up, you know, and, um, not enjoying it. And, so I didn't know who to talk to. I was kind of lost in who I was. I didn't know why I was where I was and what I was doing and who, you know, my identity was lost. And but you know what? It was an interesting scenario when she said thank you because our eyes met for for quite a bit. I, well, I don't know how long. I can't say, but it felt like a long time. We just stared at each other, and our realities met because she was lost. You know, she didn't know who she was. She was scared. And, and, and we had literally the same reality in life. My clothes looked better. My obviously my my place of work looked a lot better. Um, there's a lot more, I had a house to live in. I, you know, I had a lot more safety than she had, but our realities and our minds were somewhat the same. And, and when she said, thank you, it wasn't just a thank you for the, for the food. It was basically saying, thank you for letting me know I exist. Because a lot of people, when you see a homeless person, you walk on the other side of the street, they ask you for money and you kind of look up or look at your phone or act like you didn't hear them. We've all done it. We still do it. It's an awkward scenario. So for me, when she said thank you, it was that. It was thank you for letting me know I exist because I don't know if people do. And I'm, 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 I'm lost. And, and I wanted people to know that my reality existed and I didn't know who to talk to about it or who would relate with me um, to it. So it was a really tough uh, thing for me uh, to, 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 to deal with what I was dealing with. But when I handed that girl that food and she said thank you, I remember walking to the field that day feeling very, very – uh, joyful and who I was as a human being. And my biggest, probably my biggest uh, regret that day was not getting to know her story, asking her what, what got her where she was at. But to be honest with you, um, I, I went to the field that day. I sat in the bullpen out in the outfield like I did almost every game just to kind of gather my thoughts before a game and sit by myself. And sometimes I pray, sometimes I listen to music, sometimes I read. It just depends on the situation. And, um, and I just felt thankful. And for the first time in my career, I understood what I wanted, what, what, why I was a baseball player. And, and so from that time on, you know, I, I, I had a, I had a focus, I had a focus on starting an organization that, that basically would love other people and would try to get other people to understand who they are and lead. And so I, I didn't know how to do that. I started Generation Alive and initially I started it as a, uh, kind of a leadership thing, but to go into schools and talk about surrounding yourself with people that believe in you, uh, have a vision for your life dream big and those are all good things um but i kind of changed it up uh after a little bit once i once i kind of you know I, I had an opportunity to to win a world series in colorado uh and we did these assemblies and it was really good but i, I just something wasn't sticking and and but because and, i remember that girl and i wanted to know why did i have so much joy with that and maybe those were good thoughts for that girl but i still didn't have really a lot in me that said it was the right route. And I remember getting done with an assembly at a school and a girl came up to me and she's like, you know, that was a good speech. And I kind of laughed at her and I said, thanks. And she says, but I got one question. I said, okay. So you talk about friends and, and surrounding yourself, people believe in you and, and, and gathering people around you as a support group and making good decisions. But what if we're in an area where the only decision we have is to steal for it to eat? or to sell drugs so we have money to be able to provide for us because our families can't, our moms and dads can't, so we have to figure out a way to live, and so there's no other choice for us. 
and we have to commit crimes and and do different things just because we're trying to survive and our only friends that surround we can surround ourselves with that actually will protect us are the local gang members because they're the only ones that we can believe that would actually protect us what if we're in that situation because your 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 speech doesn't make sense to us in those situations and you know it really got to me and uh, i read the whole in the gospel about the same time and and everything was getting to me that way. And I was like, man, we got to change this up because I remember helping that girl out and feeling so good. And I didn't have to tell her to surround herself with friends that believed in her. I didn't have to tell her to, to, to make good decisions. I simply needed to let her know that she existed and I care about her. And, and, and so that's when I kind of got on this to stir a movement idea of, of doing these a lot of different things in the community and understanding, you know, we do a hunger initiative because I think hunger is a big part of a community issue, right? One in six in the, in the country have food insecurities. But, you know, and human trafficking we do at Generation Alive because I believe human trafficking is one of the, you know, when we, we, we let people know what human trafficking does to a community and how devastating it can be to the human life because it's one of the biggest injustices known to man uh, from a spiritual version uh, honestly, from a Christianity perspective, you know, the greatest injustice I think to mankind is not knowing who Jesus is. I think the second greatest injustice is human trafficking because you take life and you keep me, you, you use them as a product and they're a reusable product. Uh, and the third I think is hunger and, 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 and lack of water. But, uh, to be honest with you, we do different things because I wanted to figure out a way to, to talk to kids, even at a young age about what poverty looks like in a community and what pains come from that and can we alleviate those pains yes but how and we can't just have sympathy where we're like oh i feel bad for that person we need to have compassion where we act on our sympathy and we don't say oh too bad for them or oh man it, it stinks it's that stinks and now what do we do about it and i think when communities have people like that involved in in what's going on that's when cities change countries change nations change and it simply comes from the fact that the reason that i gave that girl that food is because I was on my way because I was hungry. And the simple love your neighbor as yourself, you know, I have a, a, a forearm tattoo that says no man shall live for himself. I like that. For me, that just resonates with me a little bit more, but it's still the same thing. And and I don't live for myself and I don't want to live for myself. And if I'm hungry, I want something to eat. And no one's going to tell me what I'm going to do for a living. I have a choice in that matter. And frankly, no one's going to tell me who to have sex with. I have the choice. I have the choice to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. Um, you know. And so for me, they'd be forced into those scenarios in a way where I have no choice is an injustice. To, be, to not have food, to simply focus and live and be is an injustice. And we are here as human beings and we are here on this earth, whether you're a Christian or not, but especially if you're a Christian, to reflect Jesus. And he said, I am here, man, to set the captives free, man. I'm here to do different. You know, I'm here. When people were hungry, he fed them. And and when they were thirsty, he gave them something to drink. And, and, and Matthew 25 is the premise on which I do what I do. And when Jesus said, you know, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And, and, and that's a big deal for me. And, and so we, we, we started Generation Alive and I changed up the whole like, we, you know, do the assemblies to talk on that, to become an organization that understands what, what poverty is in an organization, you know, or even pains of poverty, even, even impacts of poverty, not just poverty, but what, 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 are, what are the needs in a community and how, how can we help with those needs and alleviate pains if they don't have those needs? And how can we train leaders to be servant leaders and to serve their community, not, abs not, not think that it doesn't exist and only serve people in areas that we're comfortable with when it comes to our status of living? 
And, 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 and I can tell you, it, it's been a great journey, man. It, it has been an interesting one, but, uh, the, the organization is doing so well. We have, a, we have a CEO, we have a staff, you know, I'm, I'm on the board. I do some fundraising stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily deal with the, the, the everyday details because I'm, I, I think I'm, I'd burn out with all the other stuff I got going on. Uh, but I, I have hired a staff that has done an amazing job. Um, and, and they're and the city's changing. I mean, I walk all over this city and, and people are like, Hey man, generation life was at my school. We did a hunger thing. We, I mean, parents have come up to me randomly on the street and it's, they don't even know who I am. They just see the hat. They're like, Hey, that's, is that a generation live hat? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, wow, that organization's amazing. I'm like, yeah, it is a good one. You know, and I just talked to them about it. I mean, the impact that it has on a community is great. And, and, and I wanted, I, I knew that my life changed and I became, I, and from that, you can flip over my baseball card. And from that year on 2006, um, was my, was a really rough year, but it was one of my last rough years from 2007 on, uh, was some of the best years of my career. And it was because I think I had a different focus. I not only lived for my wife and my kids, I played the game, you know, for them, but I also played for other people. I played to have a platform to be able to speak into these things. I played because I knew that people looked up to athletes as role models, and I said, "Well, then I'm going to be an active role model, uh, and and I'm going to be I'm going to bring awareness to certain things." And I am now because of my World Series status and because of my successful status as a baseball player, I'm actually having doors open to me that a lot of people wouldn't, and that's okay. I don't get mad about it. I don't roll my eyes and say, "Well, the only reason I'm here is because of this." I embrace it. And I say the reason I'm here is because God gave me the ability to do a really, really wonderful thing called baseball. And those these doors are open to me, whether to be big churches or big organizations or small churches or small organizations. The doors are open to me to, to be able to come in and to speak and, and to use my gifting as, as a speaker because of what I did on the baseball field. And you know what? That's called platform, and I'm completely okay with it. And I enjoy using it, and I enjoy what we're doing in these communities, and I enjoy being a part of it. And To Stir a Movement was a book I, I wrote because it talks about my journey. It's not a biography. I don't think I'm old enough to be able to write a biography. But uh, I think I'm more the, – the reason I got to being and thinking the way I do was an interesting one, and I wanted people to know it. So it And it went back way into my childhood. Uh, how I was slowly molded into being this person, and and now even now I, I make so many mistakes, and I, you know, whether it be in my marriage or my family or in friendships or 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 even decisions I make with people in the community, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to put myself out there, and I'm willing to say I'm not perfect, but I still love Jesus, and I still love my neighbor, and I don't act like it all the time because I have flesh on my bones, and and so I'm going to live out of my flesh, but I have a heart. And I have a heart that beats for, for, for the kingdom of heaven. And I have a heart that beats for what Jesus has asked us to have a heartbeat for. And, 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 and I, I strive for that. And so my writings, you'll see it. And my blogs, you'll see it. Um, I just want to relate to everybody in a way that they can see Jesus appropriately. And soapbox Christianity is not it for me. I don't believe in hellfire and brimstone. I believe in loving my neighbor as myself, and I believe in loving God and asking him to help me understand my neighbor and understand that my neighbor doesn't always think like me or look like me or live like me, but they're still human beings, and they're still loved by and created by Jesus. And and um, I'm very, very thankful for the opportunities I've been given to be able to speak on those platforms. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, 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 I'm... So many of our listeners are youth workers and, and parents, and I, I'm curious what you would say to those that can't have, because not every city can have Generation Alive. I know that maybe long term, that's that's a vision that, that you and your team have talked a lot about, um, but I know you're doing work in San Francisco and Spokane. 
So I'm, I, you know, we have we have individuals that are listening to this all around the country, and so what I'm curious is what you would say to that youth worker, youth pastor, or parent who really love what you've been able to do, where you're taking youth in the schools, getting them plugged into hunger initiatives, to human trafficking issues, educating them and empowering them to then speak to others. What would you say to those individuals that can't necessarily have a uh, GA come in and assist or a Jeremy Affelt that comes in and speaks? Um, yeah, what would you do to uh, empower those individuals that might be listening? Yeah, you know, I think that, they, that you know, we're not doing anything that the church hasn't been called to do. Uh, so, you know, for me, you know, Matthew 25 is a verse that I think that youth workers really need to key in on because it isn't about um, looking a certain way. It isn't about, you know, people seeing you a certain way necessarily. It isn't about having certain things. If you look at Matthew 25, you know, Jesus talks about someone that's hungry, someone's in prison, someone that's naked. So there's so many different things that he talks about, and it doesn't look like someone that's living the great life um, and, and, and trying to look a certain way. And I think a lot of these churches, man, we're trying to look blessed. We're trying to look holy. We're trying to react like we're holy. And the fact of the matter is, like every day we go into church, I see these people and you go up to them and, and, and they say, hi, you know, hi, and you ask how they're doing and everyone, almost everybody says blessed. And I know that's a fun answer, but there's no way you, everybody feels that way. I know that's the answer maybe you want people to think you are, but man, that, that yeah, this is the same guy that flipped people off on the way to his church and cussed at their wife on the, all the way down the hill, right? So, like, I've done it. I've been in those situations where I've been cussing at my wife or or, or yelling at my kids or you know, mad at somebody, and then I get to church and say, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, you know? And, everybody, and my wife's looking at me like, what? You, 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 this, this is you're you were miserable to be around and 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 so they're not everybody is always doing great and with these youth workers man these kids need to know that life is real and raw and and we're gonna you know and and, and communities don't always thrive and we can't sit there and ignore it we can't sit there and say well we're only gonna hang out in our little area over here because we don't want to actually be a part of that over there because god forbid we hang out with sinners and we become like them because that's what the Bible says, because we take it completely out of context and we just say, well, don't hang out with them or less you're going to become like them. And I think we get into that fact of like, well, I don't really know how we're going to share the love of Jesus if we can never go out and actually share it. Because right now, I feel a lot of times we're sharing the love of Jesus that are, with people that already have the love of Jesus. And we stay in our churches and we hang out there and we talk about God because it's the cool thing to do and it's the right thing to do. But go out there. No, don't hang with them. Don't go around them. They're gross. They're dirty. They don't think like us. They're immoral. They, they, God forbid, they're even here. Like they're gonna, they're gonna go to hell if they keep living their life the way they live it. And then no one connects with them. I want youth workers to take their kids into some areas and say, "Look, this is what reality is for a lot of people." You know, the 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 ten percent or the one percent are exactly that. They're the ten and the one percent. So you have to go to the rest of the eighty or ninety or or, or ninety nine percent and say, "This is the way life is." And as the church. We're here to let people come in and to be loved, not judged. We're here to help where there's a need, not act like there is no need because we don't want to deal with the dirty sinner. We need to go out in the community. We need to be part of it. So whether GA is there or not, you still go out and say, man, what can we do? What can we do to love our neighbor as ourselves? Our neighbors are dealing with this right now. If I was that person, what would I need? Could I help it? Could my kids help do that? I don't care if it's 
cleaning up houses, repainting homes, making sure someone's car is fixed, raising money to help with whatever cause you want to help within your community. But you need to be advancing that way because we have to teach our leaders to be servant leaders. Because if we don't, we all know politically we're not going to agree with stuff, but we got an issue in this country with leadership. And it's because it's a, it's, it's, it's a selfish leadership. It's not a servant leadership. And the only way to change that is to start raising a, a, a bunch of new generation leaders as servants and understanding that there are pains of, in, in, that go on in communities. And we need to focus on those things, not focus on other agendas that don't make sense for the 99% of people in this world. Mm. Yeah, Jason, I'm thinking about this as, as Jeremy's talking that uh, one of the conversations we're going to have down the road is, you know, how do we move kids and youth groups from what they are to what he's talking about? And in many ways, how do we move from an entertainment and attractional model of youth ministry to one where kids are really pushed out over the edge to serve? So I, I like this. I love hearing this. This is great. This is good. Well, Jeremy, as we kind of turn a corner and, and come to the end here, I, I just would love to hear what uh, what you're working on, because you are working on another book, and so um, you've already stirred a movement. So I'm curious uh, what your next book is going to tackle and, and, and what words uh, uh, the Lord's maybe laid on your heart as you've dived into this conversation. Yeah, the stirring movement was a, a little bit about who I am and, and why I'm stirring it, and it, you know, it was a it was a pretty good age level reading from all over, right? It was, um, you know, everywhere from, you know, there's some, you know, upper end readers that are 10, 11 that can read at a higher level to to 70 year olds that read it. You know, I, I, it wasn't really meant for a certain genre of people. Um, you know, this next one is called No Man. It's based on the No Man Shall Live for Yourself uh, thought process, and it just goes a little deeper into what it means to me to be living for other people or being a servant leader. Um, it'll probably even speak to me a little bit because sometimes we write things because we know it's true. We don't always live it. And so uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this book comes in. And it, what it does, it's a little bit a lot of my blogs uh, at a little deeper level. So it goes a little deeper into the movement. It has a little bit deeper theology uh, to it. but. Um, it goes in, it just expands a little bit more on this no man shall live for himself. What does it truly mean to live for, for others? And, and there's a lot of grace built in there. If I'm not, there's not an expectation level that you should live a certain way. There's not like a, well, if you're, if you're really good, if you're going good with Jesus, then you're going to live at this level. That's not what it is. It's more of a, um, my views of what it means to, to not live for other people. And the reason why I have the tattoo on my forearm and the reason why it's there, the reason why it's readable and has to remind me every day uh, because it is a struggle um, but it is a lot a lot on servant leadership and and what it means I think to, to serve uh, uh, people that you're there that you're involved with whether it be community whether it be you know friendships whether it be um, marriages family stuff like that wow awesome well Jeremy this has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast I'm really thankful that you were able to join us I uh, just want to uh, pass along. We will put uh, links on the CPYU page uh, where the podcast sits. Um, and you mentioned a couple of books that I want to make sure um, we, we highlight, which was Bo's Cafe, Hole in the Gospel. But is there any other resources that you would recommend that we've not already mentioned? And mention your we website, your web address. Yeah, yeah in, in your, yeah, your web address. Yeah, generationalive.org. Um, is 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 our is our website for the nonprofit? Um, 
You know what? There's another resource that I think is really, really good, especially for youth workers. And a lot of them probably have already read it to a point. Well, there's two, actually. There's Blue Like Jazz, what I think is one of the greatest books written uh, for youth workers by Donald Miller. There's also a book called uh, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Mm. Um, and the reason it's a good book is because it actually just gets you an understanding of who he is. And he basically proves God without the Bible. And, and the concept for me when I read it was the fact that you can't prove Jesus without the Bible, but you can prove God without it. Because the biggest conversation that a lot of youth workers will probably end up having about God is they're always saying, well, the Bible says. And a lot of the conversations that I've had with people you know, will end a lot of times if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, then where are you going to go? And if we just sit there and say the Bible says, you're not going to relate with a lot of people. And, and, and when it comes to a community, there are ways to be able to get people to be interested in who God is so that you can then reflect Jesus onto them. And, and he does a really good job in this book of, of kind of tackling some issues uh, that you're going to probably deal with down the road from some thoughts. And a lot of these youth workers are going to start having these thoughts from high schoolers, but even college kids that go away to college and come back and, and they get kind of challenged by their, their secular professors and, and feel like smart guys that are challenging them on, on, on God, and, and, and they're going to get confused. And this is a book that I really feel helps with a lot of those different issues that these kids are going to get challenged with and they're going to have thoughts about. So those two resources I think are phenomenal. Great. Well, we'll make those available. Jeremy, thank you. Walt, was there anything that you wanted to be able to add? Uh, no, to this? I'll just say, you know, I'll just remind folks that if uh, they've listened in today and they've they've picked up the podcast by streaming it through some other, some platform other than our website, cpyu.org, go back to the website, find yes. the podcast page there, and that's where you'll find all these links. So if you're listening through iTunes or somewhere else, uh, we want to make sure you, you get a chance to click on and through to everything that Jeremy talked about. Jeremy, thanks. This Thanks, is guys. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Well, uh, until next time, we uh, are grateful that you were able to join us, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, Email us at podcast at cpyu.org.